So I want to begin with a question. Has God ever called you to something that you weren't expecting? And if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you know the answer to this question. Has he ever called you to a role you didn't feel prepared for? Has he ever called you into a situation that felt like there's no way that I could possibly do this? He usually does. I mean, one, because his ways are higher than our ways, and he knows better than we do. But he also knows that we won't trust in him if things are too easy. We won't trust in him if things are always predictable. We won't trust in him if we have every step laid out for us in front of us. And many times walking in faith looks much like being called to something more than what you thought you were able to. And the writer of this letter, Peter, finds himself here at the end of John's gospel. Because as Peter's fishing, he went back to his job, right? Peter witnessed Christ being beaten and mocked and put on the cross and witnessed his resurrection. And of course, what do you do when the God of the universe comes in flesh and, res- and is resurrected? Well, you go back to work, right? You go back to fishing. That's what, that's what Peter did. But Jesus found him fishing. Peter wasn't catching anything, of course. Peter was a terrible fisherman. That's probably why Jesus called him out of that. He's cast your nets on the other side. He didn't know it was Jesus yet. But when he finds out that it's Jesus, they have breakfast on the beach. And Jesus has this great call to Peter. This great, Peter, you're, you're, you're my best hope for the world, right? Peter, you've got it all together. Lead my people. No. The conversation went a little bit differently. Jesus asked Peter three questions. And this is very typical for Peter because he's so stubborn like many of us. He has to be asked three times before he gets it. And also because he denied the Lord three times. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter's a fisherman. This is shepherd terminology. This is a bit outside of his area of expertise. But Jesus is doing something prophetic here. Jesus is, is moving from the fisherman metaphor, which he's used throughout his ministry for evangelism. Cast your nets out. Bring in fish. So fisherman is an evangelistic metaphor. But Peter transitions from being a fisherman to a shepherd. And shepherd is more pastoral. Shepherd A fisherman can cast his net and go on to the next lake. And the evangelist moves on and on, but a shepherd is called to his sheep. A shepherd is a very different role. It's a very solitary role, a very humbling role. Not like a fisherman is his glory job either. But Jesus is speaking over Peter's life and calling him from being a fisherman to being a shepherd. And calling him to lead God's people as a shepherd. And that's how he writes this letter. As elder to other elders. In the call of every leader of God's people. Whether in the church or in the home. Is those three questions. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And by the third time. If you don't feel the weight of that, wake up. Because when Jesus asks you three times, do you love me? And then he gives you the answer three times. He's telling you what that love for him looks like. Because leaders focus on their love for the Lord first. 
and then their love for others. And he's telling Peter that if you're going to feed my sheep, I'm not calling you to a life of comfort. I'm not calling you to a life of ease. A shepherd's life, and we've looked at this some in the past, the life of a shepherd was not one of comfort but humility. We get kind of a picture of how the shepherds were looked at in popular culture. If you look in Genesis, when Jacob and his family come before Pharaoh, it was an abomination for the family of Pharaoh to eat with shepherds. They were hairy, they were dirty, they were smelly, they smelled like the grass, they smelled like the sheep. They spent days and sometimes weeks out in the field with their sheep, bringing them to pasture further and further away from the fold. They would lay down with them at night. They would protect them. They would put their life on the line. David told us that he slayed lions and bears for the sake of his sheep. It's interesting that the lowly job for the rest of the world was a noble job in the house of God. He called David a shepherd boy. The Lord himself called him the shepherd of his sheep. This picture of intimacy, this picture of humility, is what the leaders of God's people are called for. This word shepherd, also pastor and pasture, all come from the same root. It's a picture of feeding, tending, guarding, protecting. The pasture is an area of comfort and peace. And so those words are connected. Both the sheep and the shepherd and the pasture. The sheep need protection. The shepherd is called to protect and guard and make sure that they eat and make sure that they sleep and make sure that the wolves don't come in. So you want to know what the Bible says about your leaders? What does scripture teach us about how the body should be led and how the body should be governed and who should do that? Well, Peter himself, being called by the chief shepherd to shepherd God's people, gives us that picture. And so we're going to look through that in our text this morning. And we're going to see many functions and duties of a shepherd being related to the shepherds of God's people. The elders, those called to put their lives on the line and to be laid down for the sake of the sheep. And so what we're going to do, like we do many times in our text, is we're going to do a bit of a word study. Because the words that Peter uses here are so important for us to to get the depth and the weight of what it means to lead God's people. And so I want you to pay attention. Some of these words are simple. Some of these words we tend to gloss over. Um, But Peter's doing some intentional things here in our passage. So I'm going to read through 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to pray. We're going to walk back through this. And I hope... You understand the importance of what it means to be a leader in the church and how this applies to every one of us as well. So let, let's read. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the unfading crown of glory. Excuse me, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we, lost sheep, disobedient, defiant, would run from you at all cost. That you sent your son to be our shepherd. To call us back home. To hold us in his mighty right hand. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us without hope, without leadership. And Lord, you have called some of us to lead, to be stewards of our master's sheep. And Lord, let us as a faithful body look to you as our head, our chief shepherd. Humbly lead and serve one another in all humility. So that whether we lead or we are led, we do it all to the glory of God. Through the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Alright, so as we walk through 1 Peter, we've seen the major message of this letter is hope through suffering. And that's been our theme all along. Anyone else happy not to be talking about suffering anymore? If you miss it, we'll mention it one more time next week. But this is not a passage about suffering. So where we find ourselves is the, the body of the letter is, is finished. So Peter has gone through all of the, the content of the letter. But now there's a special exhortation to the leaders. And he's saying, remember everything I just told you. But now I am writing to you leaders. Watch yourselves. Remember, this is a reminder of who you are. And last week we looked at uh, judgment starting in the house of Israel. And we see this throughout Ezekiel, that those who lead God's people will be judged first. The wicked leaders to condemnation. The righteous leaders to refinement. And that those who lead God's people are going to be held up first. And so Peter's reminding you, if you didn't catch these Old Testament references, I'm going to speak to you plainly. Because you're stubborn. Because you're like me, you need to hear this again. You need to be reminded again. And so, so far, this letter has been an encouragement to the entire congregation, to all believers. And now, a specific message is being spoken to the elders. So some of you might ask, what does this have to do with me? If I'm not an elder, if I never am going to be an elder, why should I care? This is very important. To all of us, for, for, for several reasons. One, we want to know what God requires of our leaders. Because just like anyone else, we need to be held accountable. We need to be held according to Scripture, and we need to humble ourselves and come and serve as Christ served. So, one, we need to know what Scripture requires of, of, of uh, the leaders of God's people. And two, and this is something that Scripture says that men should aspire to. That you should aspire to be an elder. And every man, you are an elder in your home. You are to aspire to these things in your home. To lead in a godly way. To mirror Christ. To be an example to your family. And these characteristics apply to all of us. That as we walk through this, everything in this passage, every one of us should aspire to. And I hope you see that as we walk through. Because the call here... It's not just to leaders, it's to look more like Christ. And that's the call in all of our lives. And lastly, why this is important, probably 99 times out of 100, when there are problems in the church, when there are issues, when there are failings, it begins with the leaders. 
the leaders failed. The leaders were not opening themselves up to accountability. The leaders were not humbling themselves. And so this is so that a watchful eye is over the leaders of God's people. And so when God's people are, need to be protected and need to be guarded, their leaders are standing firm on the rock of Jesus Christ, our firm foundation that we sung earlier. So let's get into our text, and hopefully you'll, you'll see why this isn't just something to skim over, although this is for those who are called to lead. Now, every one of us will lead at some point. Every one of us will disciple at some point, and these are the characteristics we should look to. So, first things first in this reminder. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter could have said, Hey, I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus. He told me to be a shepherd. Listen up. But Peter comes to them humbly as a fellow elder, as someone who also labors among the flock. I appeal to you. And I appeal to you the message that the chief shepherd gave me. A fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Peter's giving his qualifications here. I'm an elder. I serve in the church. And I was a witness. I was with Christ. I saw the miracles. I saw the resurrection. I spoke to him. I ate fish with him. Resurrected on the beach. And also, just like you, I will partake in his full glory when he comes again. And I want you to have your eyes on that. I'm speaking as someone who knows. And so we read this written by someone who knows. This word elder is a carryover from Israel. In the old covenant, the elders being the the eldest of the families, the, the, the heads of each house within each tribe would come together in councils and they would... Uh, they would deliberate and decide about directions and decisions in the life of Israel. And so this was still going on. We we look at uh, when the the Christians were called into question in Acts, they were called before the elders, the, the, the Jewish elders. And so like many things, Jesus didn't just come to abolish everything that God set up. He came to reform it. It is a good thing to have elders. But here you want to see there's an interesting transition because like many things in the Old Testament, it was merely external. They were older men. Regardless of maturity or quality of character, they were called to lead. But here there's no mention of age. There's mention of character. There's mention of their heart before the people. And so like the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, One that is external to one that is internal. One that is natural to one that is spiritual. And so this is a concern for people's, for the the leaders of God's people to be sanctified spiritually. And there are, and there are many examples throughout scripture. We're not going to get to all of those. We could get into 1 Timothy 3, which explains the qualifications for elders as well as uh, Titus 1. But I want to just bring up a a couple passages. Uh, Another example would be John the Apostle, another apostle. When he writes in his second and third epistles, he says, John, an elder. John who labors among the flock. So John and Peter understood how to lead with humility. And when the early church was going out, the call was to set up elders in every body. 
So they're faithful, godly leaders shepherding his people in every church. This was, you see this over and over again. Acts 14. Uh, the, the whole purpose for the letter of, of Titus is for that. But I want us to turn to Acts chapter 20. Because Paul's encouragement to the elders in Ephesus is exactly Peter's encouragement. So Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 27, but for us, it's the, the, the bulk is going to be 28 through 32. Hopefully you guys are ready for Bible drill. We're going to be flipping around a little bit in scriptures. If you can't get there with me, just write them down. Look at them later. So Acts chapter 20, verse 27. So this is, this is Paul talking to the elders. And he's talking about what he found of primary importance. He says this twice. Paul likes to repeat himself. And when he does, we pay attention. Verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's role as an apostle was declaring the whole counsel of God. Wanting to make sure that the elders knew that it is all of scripture that you preach. That you encourage the people according to the whole counsel of God. And now he gets to the pastoral, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So hold on to those terms, the idea of shepherd and the idea of overseer. We're going to break those down a little bit. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's part of the protection. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There's an importance of care in the body. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. The leaders of God's people to the point of tears. Be careful. There are wolves among you. They want to lead you astray. Verse 32, and now I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The commission of elders is according to God's word and his grace, not their own strength, not their own abilities, because if it's up to us, the wolves will come in and the sheep will scatter and the church will crumble. But we rest in the power of the spirit. We rest on the truth of God's word, and we rest on his grace because we are frail. Okay, back in chapter 5, we're going to continue into verse 2. Now we get into the, the charge of the elders and the insight of how the church should function. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Let's just stop there. There's a reason why we're going through what we're going through in our community groups. There's a reason that we put together a document about what we believe and what our, our mission is. Because we want to make sure that there is, one, unity within the body, but two, to understand what the Bible says about the church. Because so many churches fall apart. Because there's a lot of assumptions going on. Everyone has their own idea of what the church should look like. And it's difficult to try to ascertain what Scripture says. But we want to try to be faithful as possible because we want the church to be pure and to be protected and to be at peace and to be unified like scripture so many times reminds us of. So, 
Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This This is one of the first important terms. The flock of God. Many times in our culture, we've been trained to think that it's the pastor's flock. It's not my flock. It's not his flock. It's not my sheep. This is the flock of God. These are God's sheep. These are Christ's lost sheep that he sought, that he bought, that he drove home into his fold. And while the master is away, stewardship has been given over his most precious possessions, his sheep. The flock of God requires faithful servants because the master is coming again. And we can hear, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And we can hear, depart from me, I never knew you. This is a huge responsibility. So I never pictured myself in this role. You would have asked me two years ago, if, if you could picture being here, Shree would have said yes. But me, I would have said, no way. Because like Peter, I thought I was going to be over here. And I thought that this is where I'm comfortable. This is where, this is where everything makes sense. This doesn't make sense. I don't know how to do this. But when God calls, he calls us out of our own comfort, into his strength, into his loving arms. And the God of the universe said, watch over my kids. Tend my sheep. Feed them. Care for them. Because I'm coming back. I feel the weight of that. And every, as every day passes, I feel that more. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes. It's humbling. We're going to get to that at the end of this passage. Because if you think about what Christ did for his sheep, and it doesn't lead you to humility, you need to repent. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Our first responsibility is to those who are among us. There's a call of intimacy. When Jesus talks about his sheep, he knows them by name. And the shepherd would live among the sheep. So I feel convicted, as should every elder, to know the sheep. To know intimately what you struggle with, what you celebrate. How can we help you grow? How can I protect you? How can I lay down my life for you? The analogy is, is of a family because some have asked, well, if we are members of the body and there's an there's a, uh, intimacy with the members, what about new people who come in? Think about your, your, your family. Your responsibility are to your children. God has given them to you. And when a stranger comes in, you welcome them into your home. You make them feel like part of the family. But when they leave, you you still have to tuck your kids in at night. You still have to make sure that they they eat. So when the body is given to the elders, it is a family. Deshaun, before he leaves, I'm giving credit for his analogy. Um, He he said, this is like a classroom, like a teacher. And I thought, "This this is brilliant. He's going to hear it before he walks out the door. But um, you guys have a great trip. But in, in a classroom, a teacher has made a commitment to their students. They've looked those parents in the eye and said, yes, I will teach your students for this semester, for this term. I will take responsibility for them. If a student from another class comes in and they ask questions, of course they will help them. 
If another student from another classroom has a need, of course, they will help that student. But that student will go back to his class. But that teacher's responsibility is to those students. And the shepherding of the flock among you is knowing your students. Knowing the flock. Knowing who is among you because that's who God has called you to. And that's why membership is important. So we can know one another as Jesus knew us intimately. And we can know how to lead and encourage and challenge one another when we need it. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. So we see these two terms, shepherd and oversight. These are the two qualifications of an elder. These these are consistent throughout all of the New Testament. Shepherding and, and oversight. Anytime you see the word shepherd, pastor, elder, overseer, they are synonymous. And shepherd and overseer have two different connotations of the same role as elder. And we get this from Jesus, who is the example, back in 1 Peter 2.25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Jesus perfectly shepherded his sheep. Jesus perfectly oversaw his sheep. Now this term overseer can get confusing sometimes because of its connotation in, in our history. But this word is, is probably more accurately translated guardian. Someone who oversees, someone who guards, someone whose role is to look after those in their charge. And so an elder has this, this dual tension, this dual responsibility of shepherding, caring, knowing, intimately shepherding the sheep, and overseeing, administration, governance, guarding, making sure that there is peace and order within the body, because God is a God of order. And these are the functions of an elder under Jesus' example. And in the role of a shepherd, overseer, and elder, there are three goals. And, and I use the alliteration to make it easy for you. Uh, like Paul said, there's proclamation. I made sure that I did not declare the, uh, I did not. Uh, shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. So there's proclamation, making sure the word is faithfully proclaimed and taught among the body. Proclaimed in the body and publicly. There is purity. Making sure that the body of Christ is pure. Making sure that the, the, the wolves are kept out. Making sure that false doctrine is kept out. Making sure that false attitudes are kept out. Making sure that the body that Christ purchased and paid his blood to make them pure and to make them blameless in his own sight. Stays that way. And the third is peace. To make sure there is peace and unity among the body. To make sure that oversight role of administration and governance. To make sure that, that people love one another. To make sure that when we move, and we are as Christ prayed for us. That we to be one as he and the Father are one. And so in the church, the shepherd is is looking to proclaim, looking toward purity and looking toward peace among the people. That role of shepherd, elder, overseer is one that comes with great responsibility and with great temptation, as Peter will show us. Not under compulsion, but willingly. This is the first of three contrasts. This is how Peter teaches. Any good teacher, like we've said, will show contrast. You want to know what it looks to lead like Christ? 
Here's what it doesn't look like. Here's what it does look like. The first contrast says this. Not under compulsion, but willingly. I mean, we all know what this looks like. Every one of us has done something out of compulsion. Yes, mom, I will take out the trash. Yes, boss, I will get you the report. But we, as children of God, have to do all things without complaining or arguing, without grumbling. We know what it's like to do something out of compulsion. We know what it's like to do something willingly. We have no problem doing things willingly that we enjoy, right? We have no problem jumping up and saying, sure, I'll do that. I love this. But you can do that. I hate doing that. The things that we are called to are rarely easy. Anything worthwhile is never going to be easy. But the leaders of God's people and God's people in general, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. To please God more than the congregation. To please God more than our own comfort. To look to please God more than our own desires. As God would have you, not according to our own comfort, but out of our love for him. Out of our love for one another. Because we are accountable to him. And we do all things for him. That should never be forgotten amongst the body of Christ. The second one, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I mean, this shows that even in the first century, the church is, is new. There were some in the church who might have been out for shameful gain. Can you imagine that? A pastor out for shameful gain? It also shows this, this pattern, like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, that those who labor in preaching and teaching the gospel should earn their, their living from it. But the living is never the motivation. The money is never the motivator. Eagerly. Not eager for a paycheck, but eager to proclaim the word of God. Eager to shepherd the people of God. Eager to lay your life and your own comfort down for the sake of his sheep. We went through all those passages about elders you would see in Titus and Timothy. Those who are put in leadership are not to be greedy for gain. This is a temptation all around. The third one. Not domineering, but examples. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Those in your charge, this is a word in, in the Greek that, is, that gives a picture of portion. Like God is saying, my sheep throughout all of time, I have given you some in your charge. I have given you a portion of my household. Be an example to them, not domineering over them. Because we've all seen what domineering leadership looks like. And it's, and it's not Christ-like. And it doesn't build up the church. We are to be an example. A model. As Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Not a substitute for Christ. Not kings of our own kingdoms. Not lording it over them like the Gentiles did. But like Christ. Lovingly, peaceably. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Because while Peter and Paul get into specifics about what should happen in the life of the church, they're really just reteaching what Jesus has already taught us. And they're making it much more clear for our stubborn heads to make sure that we get this. So Mark chapter 10, I want to read verses 42 to 45. This is Jesus' admonition to his leaders as opposed to the Greeks and the Pharisees. Mark 10, 42 through 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Wow. And whosoever would be first among you must be slave of all. What does leadership look like in the house of God? Servant of all. A slave to all. Imitating our master who wrapped a towel around his waist and got on his knees and washed the feet of these stinking, treacherous disciples who would run and scatter when he faced his persecution. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What does leadership look like? Giving your life. Serving. It's a high calling. And it is humbling. Trust me. And it should be. And if our leaders are ever not humbled by what God has called them to, maybe they haven't been called. Maybe they haven't had the opportunity to be humbled just yet. We are the example, the model. We're not, like Jesus said, we're not to lord our authority over them. I I, I was thinking about this this picture of, you know those old hunting dogs? I think they they still do this in England. I don't think they do it here anymore where the the dog will run out in front of them and they'll they'll, they'll find the the quail or the duck in the bushes. And and I always always picture the uh, the, uh, cartoons where the dog's doing this, you know. I I kind of pictured, pictured like that being the leaders of God's people out front. We're not the prize, but we're pointing you to where the prize is. Look what I found. This is this, this precious treasure. I'm pointing you to Christ. I'm pointing you toward eternal treasure. This is not the lifting up and puffing up of the clergy and putting themselves above the people. But this is guardians among the sheep ready to put down their lives for those in their charge. So we've got those three contrasts, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but examples. Why? Because our reward is not here. Our reward is not in monetary gain. Our reward is not in things of this earth. It's not in accolades. It's not in money. It's not in any personal possessions. We've seen this so many times. Pastors have been led astray by money and by fame and fortune. But look what Peter says here. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Those who seek riches in this life, Jesus told us that their reward they've gotten already. We've seen pastors who sought after all kinds of mansions and money and book deals and private jets. Listen, I'll tell you right now. This is Sanford. I don't think we need a private jet. But if I ever take up an offering for a private jet or even a golf cart, we're in Sanford. This is golf cart country. You have my permission to slap me in the face in the name of Jesus, of course. <laughs> if, if my wife doesn't first, and, and she should. <laughs> because our reward is not one that is perishable. It is imperishable. This crown of glory that is placed on our heads by the king of glory. We are faithful servants looking forward to the coming of Christ. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the unfading crown of glory. And leaders of God's people should never forget that they're under shepherds. Not the chief shepherd, not Christ. That, that spot is taken. The chief shepherd. We're to lead like him, but look for his coming. We're to be like the virgins who had wicks in their lamp, who are ready, who are alert, who are sober because he's coming. And unlike the glory that fades and things we can find all over the world. We talked about glory last week, two weeks ago. That we find glory in so many things. The culture looks toward ourselves for glory. But the glory that comes from Christ is unfading. It is a crown of glory that we will wear with him in eternity. And that's where we look for our reward. I love this quote from Edmund Clowney when he talks about this passage. He says, the faithful who receive their crowns of blessing from the Lord will cast their crowns before the throne of him who wore a crown of thorns for them. I'm going to say that again because, man, that's good. The faithful who receive their crowns of blessing from the Lord will cast their crowns before the throne of him who wore the crown of thorns for them. Amen. And our response, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elder. All right, in these, these, these terms, a lot of times we, we'll, we'll miss it in our English translations. Uh, just like we are no longer looking at elders as only older, but it's, it's spiritual maturity, this, this term younger is more like fresh or, or new. So there's a contrast here, like, like Peter likes to do, between those who are mature and those who are more immature in the body. Because all of us start in a place of immaturity, but the goal is to reach maturity in Christ. And so Peter says, likewise, you who are younger, you who are more immature, you who are fresh, be subject to the elders. As elders are subject to Christ, the rest of the congregation is subject to the elders only as they are subject to Christ. And all of us, we are awaiting the return of our king to see his glory on full display, to receive our heavenly reward. And so we can mutually submit to one another. And in that spirit, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. There is no pomp and circumstance with the elders. Before Christ, all of us are to be humble with one another. We stand shoulder to shoulder. Our roles may look different, but before the throne, we are sinners. And we should be humbled. Because whether I preach on Sunday morning or not, the same Savior who came and died for my sins came and died for your sins. And if I could ever look at the cross, if anyone preaching God's word could ever read scripture and look at the cross and be arrogant in themselves, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Because when you understand the cross, you understand the depth of your own sin, you understand what we deserve, it should bring us to our knees in humility. And when we fail one another, when we disappoint one another, when we don't live up to expectations, when we expect others to be Christ in his place, we can be reminded of all that we've been forgiven. We can remind, be humbled and love one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And there's no coincidence that humility is talked about in a passage where leaders are talked about. Because all of us are tempted with arrogance. 
Every one of us are tempted to think more about ourselves than others, especially those in leadership. This is an appropriate reminder. But why are we so proud? I'm going to close with this, but why are we so proud? Because usually we think high of ourselves. We want others to think about us the way we do. We want the tension to be on us. And if we can be honest, we want Christ's glory now. We want other people to lift us up. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. I'm chief among them. But God gives grace to the humble. He gives us his favor and his grace and humility, which is far greater than any attention we can ever get from arrogance. And it is imperishable, and it lasts forever, and it's a shining crown of glory. Because we are his. We are his sheep, called by his name, bought with his blood. So let's conclude. I just want to remind you of what we looked at today. When we look at the picture of the church, it is not one of pomp and circumstance and show, but as lowly shepherds and sheeps waiting for the chief shepherd to come home. And whether you are a shepherd or a sheep, be faithful. Whether you are called to lead or follow, be humble. Love one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another as your Savior bore with you. And Peter reminds the elders, as they shepherd and oversee the flock, proclaim the truth. Seek toward purity in the body. Seek peace and love among all. And look for the reward in, in, in heaven, not on earth. Keep our eyes on our Savior, who is coming again in glory, and who has died to share that glory with us. And our response to all this is humility. It's to get on our knees and be reminded of the grace of God. Save the poor wretch like me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that before the foundation of the earth, you knew our sins. And you loved us. And you sought us. And you sent your son for us. Thank you that you created us in your image. That we could even begin to understand you, let alone reflect you. Lord, help us to love you in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Help us to love one another in a way that reflects you. Help those who are called to lead, lead with humility, willingly, eagerly, as an example of Christ, as a servant and slave to all. Those who are members of the flock, to be reminded of your grace toward us, to be humble toward one another, awaiting the return of our King, our Shepherd. Let us not be motivated by riches, discouraged by our poverty, because you are all we need, our chief shepherd, our savior, our redeemer, our rock. And in you we find our hope, our strength, and our identity. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.